Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. He was a stylish, handsome chap, had the world right in his lap. His manners and his smile were simply charming. His clothes were always neat, quite successful in the street. His life was so complete, was quite alarming. And then he took up golf. Now he wanders round at night, only waiting till it's light, so he can take his clubs and start to play. It costs him plenty every time when he wins it just a The king asked the queen, and the queen asked the dairymaid, Could we have some butter for the royal slice of bread? The queen asked the dairymaid, the dairymaid said, Certainly, I'll go and tell the cow now before she goes to bed. The queen said, There, there and went to the dairymaid. The dairymaid said, there, there, and went to the shed. The cow said, there, there, I didn't really mean it. Here's milk for his porringer and butter for his bread. The queen took the butter and brought it to his majesty. The king said, butter, eh, and bounced out of bed. Nobody, he said, as he kissed her tenderly. Nobody, he said, as he slid down the banisters. Nobody, my darling, could call me a fussy man. But I do like a little bit of butter on my bread. <laughs> that was the uh, abridged version of the King's Breakfast. Yes, welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club. This is the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books with me... The King, uh, Tim Wright, Timothy Tim, <laughs> and you, Lloyd Shepherd. I don't get a title. Yes, I'm Lloyd Shepherd. Uh, this is part two of our adventure with A.A. Milne's When We Were Very Young. When We Were Very his Young. His first book of, well, his first book for children. Yes. His first book of verse. And uh, and we, we're we maintaining a, a sort of poo-free zone up to no this point. Poo, no poo allowed. <laughs> What we're, ones what, only. Well, what we're discussing is the idea that this book is actually m- sort of made him more money initially than Winnie the Pooh ever did. Was well, sort of more significant in his life in a way. Well, you could argue, I suppose, if Winnie the Pooh hadn't happened, this yeah. would be what he was remembered for. Yeah, exactly. And he would still be very well remembered for it because it was astoundingly popular. It really was. Yeah, we which talked we, about we, in part one. Yeah, we talked about that in part one, and we we were wandering around locations relevant to the poems, like Buckingham Palace. And, yeah. London Zoo, but uh, in part two, we're going to go out into the country. Well, we're going to three places. Uh, we're going to go to a golf club. We're then going to go to somewhere very exciting, which I was very excited to find, uh, a place called Decoy House in Sussex. You did well there. Which we'll talk a bit about. And then we're going to end at a place called Cotchford Farm. Yes. Near Hartfield in uh, in East Sussex. Yes, which is, we're, 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 we're zoning in on Winnie the Pooh, aren't we? We are point? zoning in on Winnie the Pooh. We're creeping we're, up on him. Like a heffalump. We're, we're creeping up on him with a gun if we were Dorothy Parker. <laughs> bear hunting. Bear hunting. Because obviously uh, we, we talked in the first part about A.A. Yeah. A. Milne's strange obsession and potentially fear of bears. Fear of bears, um, yeah. So we'll talk about that later and, on. Uh, and an, an interest in death by water as well. Interesting death by water. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to drive out now from uh, London with Burnside, our chauffeur, <laughs> is taking us out in the, in the roller. He is uh, indeed. Down for a, for a quick round of golf. Four! In Surrey. Growing up, I've got shoes with grown-up laces. 
I've got knickers and a pair of braces. I'm all ready to run some races. Who's coming out with me? I've got a nice new pair of braces. I've got shoes with new brown laces. I know wonderful paddly places. Who's coming out with me? Every morning my new graces. Thank you, God, for my nice braces. I can tie my new brown laces. Who's coming out with me? P.G. So Woodhouse is coming out with you. That's, uh, that's a poem called Preparing for a Day of Golf. No, it's not. It's called Growing Up. It's uh, appropriate because we're going to talk about golf now, Tim. Oh, yeah, uh, it I, was inevitable. I, uh, I, I did lots of research about uh, A.A. Milne and golf. Yes. I found the golf course that he played at. Which one was that? Well, it's in Addington. Yeah. So obviously I assumed it was the Addington. Yeah. He was an inveterate golfer. Yeah, that's um, a very big black mark in against him. Yeah, well, you me. don't like that, do you? Alan Thwaite, in her biography, talks about him playing at Addington. Uh, so the Addington is rather a famous old golf course. It's being currently done up. You can't get in it. Massive gates at the front. There's no way we were getting in. As a lifelong uh, Crystal Palace supporter as you are, yeah. you should know that... <laughs> I, should point out, I should point out that there was a hint of sarcasm in that statement. <laughs> that, uh, that it's owned by the Nodes family. Ron Nodes used to own Crystal Palace, didn't he? He did. And so then his the Nodes be- family owned the Addington? Just before he died, he bought it. Okay. And his son is restoring it to its grandeur, well, its original design. So um, I had assumed, obviously, that that was the course that uh, A.A. Yeah. Milne was playing at. He got scored a nine or an eight there, or quite, quite a good golf score he, he got there. He wrote a book all about golf. In, uh, it was published in 1925, only a year or two after when we were very young. What, just a, a year? He must have been writing it at the same time. Yeah, 64 pages. Um, it was the, for the luncheon interval, cricket and other verses. Oh, my God. So he's got, he's got a poem do you think, in there. Do you think Ezra Pound and the Imagists were he's buying that poem. book? He's got a poem in there about golf. It's called The First Tea. The year's at the full and the morn's at eleven. It's a wonderful day just straight from heaven. And this is a hole I can do in seven. Caddy, my driver, please. I have a beautiful swing that I learnt from Vadon. In practice, it's sometimes down the garden. So it's probably just Varden, it's Varden. In the garden. Harry Varden, isn't he? My a... fault. Sorry, I get your pardon. Caddy, my driver, please. <laughs> now, is it me, or does that have a very similar cadence to growing up? <laughs> it really does. It's essentially the same rhyme scheme. It is, more or less. <laughs> it's the same poem. Who's coming out with me, <laughs> caddy, words. my driver, please. It's just different words. So, yeah. um, But anyway, so we were driving up to the Addington, and I was kind of going, oh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get in, uh, and uh, we are, uh, we're going to might have to do a bit of trespassing and climb a fence. And you said, no, no. Well... And Here's I'll describe the, the scene we're actually sitting at, shall I? <laughs> yeah, go before on, you go. Go before on. Then. You t- before you tell the listener why we're here. Yeah. I'm actually sitting at an open area of heathland that does look extraordinarily like an overgrown golf course. Yeah. Could easily be a fairway. To my left are some 50s and 60s social housing. Yeah. You were telling me on the way up here that this was once a golf course. It was. And the reason is, is because your Addington. Which the the Addington the called. Addington. Well, it, do you know it was known as the Royal Addington just for a little while because King George VI played there as oh, well. Okay. It was so fashionable that your your version of it uh, apparently said that um, you could count those who did not come in their Rolls Royces on the fingers of one hand. Okay, it was super. It was yeah. for the super rich. P.G. Woodhouse loved it so much that he signed the preface of his book, The Heart of a Goof, as P.G. Woodhouse, Care of the Sixth Bunker, Addington. Anyway, it's the wrong one, mate, I think. Well, that's what, that's what you said, and I was like, yeah. what? Well, the thing is, it was so jam-packed and successful that they built another one across the road. Right. But, and that was in 1923. It the new opened. one opened? Yeah. And was then the fashionable one because it was new. Okay. And the old one was the old Edwardian fusty one. Oh, so if you right. wanted to be a, a, a bright young thing of the 20s, you didn't go to the old Edwardian one, you came to the new modern one. Do we one. think that A.A. Milne wanted to be a bright young thing of well, the 20s? Well, that's a good point. He, may, he, he had to choose. He, had he to maybe choose. he played both, though, right? He would have played both, so it makes, there's well, no it doubt. It makes sense when he talks about playing golf at Addington. Yes, that's right, because then she did. Could've she hedged her bets as to which uh, either, course it either was. Course, yeah. Now the reason we're standing on a abandoned heath with a estate by us yeah. 
It is God bless Croydon Council. Okay. <laughs> this new course was taken over by the military during the Second World War and was compulsorily purchased for housing by Croydon Council after the war. They just said, you can't have your golf course. We need houses oh. for land, not for golf. Okay. And they just took it and built houses on it. So so, uh, so uh, he could well have been playing right here where now people walk their dogs. Completely. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So there was an explosion in new golf courses between 1900 and 1925. Just loads and loads of them. Yeah. And we were talking about this on the way down here. And obviously a big reason behind that must have been the car. Yes. And I was wondering how A.E. Milne got down here. Uh, there's a bit in the in the biography uh, where he actually uh, he bought a new car in the in the early twenties and got a chauffeur or Burnside. Burnside. Burnside, the nice. chauffeur. And uh, she writes, Milne himself would drive, but on the whole, he preferred to be driven. He drove terribly slowly and terribly badly, one of his nieces said, and he would later claim to be the only man in Sussex for whom cars does, do not start. <laughs> so, anyway, so anyway, so Burnside was driving him down here. Do you think Burnside had to be the caddy as well? Oh, possibly. Oh. Caddy, my driver, please. Burnside, my... <laughs> Burnside, my driver, please. So, yeah, poor Christopher Robin is uh, at home with his nanny. Uh, new. New the nanny. Yeah. Playing upstairs. Three times a week he was playing, Mill. It's just amazing. Okay. Well, well so we're... Um, we're out of, going out of London now. We're on the edge of London. We're at the end of the town, in some ways. Uh, and now we're going to go. Uh, we're going to head down to a place called Poling. Yeah. Down in Sussex, we're near in Arundel. Se- we're in search of a swan. Search of a swan in a pond. I'd quite like to talk a little bit about A. A. Milne's world, social world, because it really revolved around two main axes. Yes. Uh, one was the golf course. Yes. And the other was the Garrick Club. So from one club to another. From one club to another. Now, I did... I, he's I did very re- clubbable, isn't he? He's very clubbable. You know, in uh, 1939, he wrote a biography, autobiography, uh, and, and he talked about golf in the book. He goes, Today, I could be happy without a car. I could be happy without a country cottage. But I shouldn't be happy if I couldn't be reckless about golf balls, taxis, the best seats at cricket grounds and theatres, shirts and pullovers, tips, subscriptions, books and wine lists. And, uh, and when he was talking about the creative process of writing, he said, I have spent many mornings at Lord's, hoping that inspiration would come. Many days on golf courses. I've even gone to sleep in the afternoon in case inspiration came to take me completely by surprise. In vain. <laughs> He's funny. <laughs> so he quite liked to be working. He was quite good at golf. He was shooting kind of 85s, which is about, so a handicap of about 14, 15 on these quite difficult golf courses. Is that good, is it? Yeah. He wrote later about golf. Golf is a puzzle without an answer. I've played the game for 50 years and I still haven't the slightest idea of how to play properly. He's, you see, the thing about him go. is it's, he's, quite, he's disingenuous about everything. He, he, you're not allowed to take anything completely seriously. Oh, don't ta- by, by God, don't take anything seriously. Yeah. That's and that, really, the, that's, that's like his motto. And motto for a, a whole range of uh, private... I mean, you go to private... I mean, we, we both went to private school. Mm. And the worst thing, the worst thing to show was enthusiasm. Right. Yep, absolutely. If you show enthusiasm, you're showing weakness. Well, it's what we were saying earlier about golf, though, at the time, was that the worst thing you could be about in golf is be a professional. Yeah, you uh, had to be a shambling amateur. <laughs> exactly. So he's more, but he's probably more proud of uh, the fact that he could only shoot 85 yeah. than, than if he actually shot 70. Well, I'm quite proud of how this podcast demonstrates how we've maintained our shambling amateurishness <laughs> in the face of rampant professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Story so of my we'd, life. We'd mate. be allowed. We'd be allowed in the clubhouse. Oh yeah, no, I'm absolutely of that school. Yeah, that, that take nothing seriously. But until, there, there's, you have to. so there's the golf clubhouse, which is allowed in because it's shambolic amateur who's very clubbable. But yeah. there was another clubhouse that he was uh, very, very keen on. Yes, he was as yeah. well. Right, so the Garrett Club is the club we're talking about. Yes. Um, so Which obviously London, he, left, he, left, he left a substantial portion of his rights. His, he left a quarter of, of royalties. A quarter of all his royalties, I think, from Winnie the Pooh. Go to the Garrick Go Club. Go to the Garrick Club. Uh, and, wow. Uh, there was a fantastic kerfuffle in the uh, late 90s where Disney offered to... Disney were trying to extend the copyright yeah. on... Because they, they'd obviously made a ton of money out of... Um, 
out of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah. And they, so they were trying to extend the copyright by 20 years. Winnie, Winnie the Pooh is the second most successful asset of, that, that Disney have behind Mickey Mouse. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they wanted to extend that and, and buy out all the other copyright holders. So they offered a lump sum to yeah. the Garrick. I've got it here, the independent newspaper. A bit yeah. of a stink a at, the a stink at the Garrick over Winnie the Pooh's pot of money. <laughs> so, they, and they, they, so now Disney wants to buy the rights for future royalty for, uh, for, for £200 million. That means that each beneficiary could get £50 million quid. So the, the idea of this amount of cash coming through the letterbox at Garrick Street in central London has caused uproar among members with a battle raging about who and what should benefit from all this money and how it should be decided. Oh, that's right, because they were arguing about whether it should go to the club yes. or whether it should go to the members. The individual right? members, they could, they could get £39,000 each. And Norman Lamont, hilariously, <laughs> one of one of the very worst chancellors of this yes. country's ever seen, thought absolutely the money should go to the members. Yes. He, he says, wanted I don't his £39,000. I don't think the Garrick needs a new wing or anything. <laughs> so they, yeah. Then they were well, coming... I'm on my uppers. <laughs> the idea is to give money to charities that have nothing to do with Lord Lamont. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, it's not clear to me what they ended up deciding to do. I think they... they, they uh, Apart from not let any women in, they formed a trust, I think, and they they use the money for for good causes. Yeah. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. And then have a big Christmas lunch as well, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But they famously don't let women in there. Uh, Well, they do let women in. Women aren't allowed to be members. They're not allowed to be members, and there's been there's about every ten years there's a there's an uproar about that, isn't there? That that they have they have another go at trying to confected uproar normally, isn't it? Kingsley Amos, when bores and pedants drive you up the wall. Come to the Garrick and forget them all. Seriously. Now, this thing about voting against women joining, this is in 1992. Yeah. One of the members was quoted as saying, I think the fear is the sort of women who would join, they'll be thrusters, the middle-aged and late middle-aged journalists who want to get on. They'll be clever barristers and they'll be Edwina Curry, you know. This is the problem. <laughs> 
and breast to breast, both motionless, they waited for the wind's caress, and all the water was at ease. Oh, that's rather nice, isn't it? There is a note to that poem in oh, the yeah. introduction, or rather there isn't a note. And he says in the introduction, uh, the introduction is called Just Before We Begin, and he says, um, At one time, but I've changed my mind now, I thought I was going to write a little note at the top of each of these poems in the manner of Mr William Wordsworth, who liked to tell his readers where he was staying and which of his friends he was walking with. Well, that would have been useful for us. And what he was thinking about yeah. when the idea of writing his poem came to him. So why didn't he do that? You will find some lines about a swan here, if you get as far as that. And I should have explained to you in the note that Christopher Robin, who feeds this swan in the mornings, has given him the name of... Poo. Uh, we're so getting closer to we the are, bear. We're at the Winnie the Pooh origin story. Yes. We're standing on a jetty, rather rickety jetty, out on a pond uh, between the villages of Angmering and Poling in West Sussex. We've come to Decoy Cottage. You've done very well here. It's very exciting. Decoy Cottage was the, um, the summer and sort of spring cottage that the Milnes took uh, in the early 20s. Uh, came down here with Christopher Robin. He spent his first three summers here, I think, something like that. When he was very young. When he was very young. <laughs> and the swan that is referred to was on this pond. So next to the uh, cottage is a decoy pond, which is a rather a large... I mean, it's nearly a lake, isn't it? It's, it's big. Quite big. It's big. It's very pretty. It's exactly. lined with trees. It's got a beautiful in the, in the, meadow the coming down to it from the house. A lovely, uh, a lovely lady called Karen now owns the house, has owned the house for 30 years. Yeah. Um, and has, has let us come into her garden and her meadow and down to her pond. Very kind of her. Um, they do run the place now as a wedding venue. If you search for decoy ponds, you'll find it. She was explaining that there's actually a picture of Christopher Robin outside the window of the cottage, aged about three. But this is where the swan was, called Pooh. That he called poo. Unfortunately, there's no swans here anymore. It's only ducks. I like the fact that he claimed that the reason that, that, that Christopher Robin called him poo was that um, the swan didn't actually respond to its name or a call at all. So that because it was so unfriendly and didn't even come when they offered it bread or whatever, that they just shouted poo at it. OK. That sounds... <laughs> sounds like me, that. That sounds... Not true, but anyway. <laughs> no, they said that it's fair enough. They're just going to go, oh, poo. Oh, poo. <laughs> oh, poo. Well, yeah. we call it, what, why are you saying that? Oh, we're just calling the swan. So but this that, is one of those he was here moments, right? Yeah, no question. Yeah, yeah. Walked across from the meadow and down to the... Down to here. And uh, Christopher Robin feeding the swan. And not or not. his father not really paying attention because he's thinking about poems. Yes, and then, well, he's, that, he's done it again, hasn't yeah. he? He's done it again where then his child's gone something like, oh, poo, and he's gone, oh, I've got my notebook. Oh, poo, it's you and me too. I went Let's down. go to the zoo. Oh, the zoo. I went down to Decoy <laughs> with my little boy. <laughs> we found us a swan. Uh, where there hadn't been one. No, where there hadn't been one. <laughs> Karen said that the, the swans all left when the, uh, a merchant banker took over the pond. Well, no, the, pond, the big pond over there, over there's there. a man-made pond filled in it, the woods. Filled it with, uh, filled it with ducks, ducks and then shot them all. And then shot them. Make so a if, poem out of that. So if you are that merchant banker, <laughs> you killed Christopher Robin Swan, you swine. Downstairs now, bump, bump, bump on the back of his head behind Christopher Robin. It is, as far as he knows, the only way of coming downstairs. But sometimes he feels that there is really is another way if only he could stop bumping for a moment and think of it. And then he feels that perhaps there isn't. And anyhow, here he is at the bottom and ready to be introduced to you, Winnie the Pooh. It's the same tone, isn't it? It's the same tone. A little bit like. Uh... Edward Thomas writing out verse from his prose. Yes. When he writes prose, he sounds like he's about to break into a light verse. Into a little tiddly pom. Yeah. It's yes. Inevitably, we've arrived at yes. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Now, we've been trying to kind of steer clear of Winnie the Pooh because we wanted to make a case for 
now we were very young on its own terms. When we were very young. When we were now very we young. Now we are six. Now we are six. Come on I, now. Know, I always keep doing that. <laughs> when we were very young on its own terms, because it was a massively successful book. Yeah. November 24, 1924, changed A.A. Milne's life. But then he comes up with this second book that arguably changed it even more. Um, and it certainly was where Walt Disney became interested, Yeah, uh, which is the book Winnie the Pooh. It's one of the all-time great Scottish jokes, by the way. What's that? Uh, what's the difference between Fred Astaire and Walt Disney? Fred dances Walt Disney. I was hoping for a Winnie the Pooh joke there, but uh, <laughs> you went off-piste. We left, we've left. we left Decoy House. We've been in Decoy House in Polling, down in Sussex. No exciting. swans. No swans. There was obviously a swan there called Pooh. Yes. We've also been to London Zoo, where there was a bear called Winnie. Yes. So you've got all the component parts. But what what was this bear that uh, we're talking about? Because the bear you see in the books yes. was not Christopher Robin's bear. The bear you see in the books was E.H. Shepard's son's bear called Growler, I think. Wasn't it called Growler yes, the I think bear? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, was modelled on, on Growler. Now, um, uh, Edward Bear, Christopher Robin's, was, was bought from Harrods by his, by his mother. Uh, Daphne. She went down to the end of the town and went shopping again. She went shopping in Harrods. Now, the, the other big change that's happened, apart from the money that's rolling in from yeah. when we were very Which young... Which means he can afford to buy that house. He's bought a house. Yeah. He's bought a house at Cotchford Farm. Yeah. in uh, Near Hartfield in East Sussex. You said he, he, he wanted to buy the other place. He wanted to buy the other place. Well, the, the lady who was there, um, uh, who kindly let us... Karen. Uh, Karen let, let us into our garden. by the way. Explained explained that to us yeah. that actually they wanted to buy the house and the person who uh, owned it wouldn't sell it to them right um, so he wanted a weekend retreat of course he did uh, yeah well, preferably near a golf course and it was very but it was very much a weekend retreat I mean Christopher Robin wrote about his father that he can't imagine anyone being more of a London man than A.A. Milne you know London yeah. Milne wanted to spend club man. most of his time he's a club man and then uh, so they buy this house called Cotchford Farm in, in Sussex yeah and you start to see the landscape. We've been there, and you can actually, you know, there's the famous Poustix Bridge. Yeah. There is a river beyond, the, it's a tributary of the Medway, I read. Is that right? And there's a river that runs at the bottom of the garden. And there's the a really bridge. ghoulish attempt at some, uh, 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 making Piglet's house. Yeah. That looks like a murder really scene. <laughs> but then you cross the, you cross the, you walk along the river, you cross the bridge, and you walk up, and you're on, you're up on the heathland. Yeah. And you walk past an oak tree, and went, well, that's Owl's house. It really, really looked like it, didn't it? It's really weird to be yeah, there, yeah, yeah, but yeah. We're, we're, we'll, we'll go there in a, shortly. But the first story from Winnie the Pooh was the uh, the bears and the the bees and the uh, the balloon. Ah, which yes. Which appeared in uh, the Morning Chronicle? No, the Daily... London Evening News, wasn't London it? Evening News. London, London Evening, Evening News. London Evening News. In 1925. Was the first uh, it was, it, do you know what came just before it? was um, the, They'd serialised uh, uh, the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Oh, there you go. Uh, so, so they went from one Q-spec moment to another. Exactly. In 19... And, uh, yeah, yeah, it all comes together in our, in our Q-spec universe. That's right. The, the book itself, Winnie the Pooh, was published in 1926. Much like when we were very young, only more so massively successful yeah yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. sold 150,000 copies between October and the end of the year incredible right so selling it like three or four times as fast as when we were very young the Walt Disney Company were franchised the characters and then released that film 1966 Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree so the other the other book I had as a young boy was a Winnie Illy Pooh have you seen have you ever read that Winnie Illy Pooh Winnie Illy Pooh yes it's uh, no, en français it, no in Latin <laughs> Very good read, listener. Oh a marvellous read. Did you still have the illustrations? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. But, in, toga? in togas, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. Okay. I wonder if it's still in print. Yeah, well, as we said, the illustrations are beautiful. Yeah. I mean, they make the book. And, and, and it's the same with when we were very young, I'd say, yeah. is that the illustrations really make the poems to some well, extent. Well, interestingly, on when we were very young, Shepherd was played a flat rate for those illustrations of £100. Nice. And then I think Milne paid him an extra fifty. Yeah. But then, at, because that's how you compensated illustrators back in the day. Right. But then for Winnie the Pooh, uh, Milne actually gave Shepherd a share of his royalty. Yes. Which is again, again, you know, good decent, egg, d- good, decent chap, decent chap, not a, chap. not a thruster. 
Yeah. <laughs> and actually, Shepard and Milne didn't really get on. You know, Did they not? was a very different character. Oh, I didn't know that. Shepard was quite gung-ho. He was, was very he? gung-ho about the war. Was he? For instance. Oh, okay. You know, well, Milne, Milne was very happy about that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they, they had a professional relationship rather than a friendly one. My, but that story that Christopher Milne says is that he used to come down to Cotchford Farm and uh, and hang out. And basically, they'd, they'd sit in the nursery yeah. or in the playroom watching Christopher Robin play yeah. with these toys. Quite creepy, isn't and it? And then making sketches and coming up with story ideas based on just watching him play it's quite weird and creepy that scene isn't it it's quite an odd idea and it, even more cynically they, he, Chris, he claims that in the, it, originally that it was all around uh, Piglet Pooh Eeyore and then he invented Rabbit and Owl as yeah. things that were in the woods anyway nearby in the forest yeah. but then he realised that uh, he needed to get some animals with more international appeal so they, that's why he came up with a kangaroo and a tiger. Oh. Right? And then he went out and bought a kangaroo and a tiger for his son and said, here, play with those. Give, yeah. us, some, give us some stories. Give us some footage. Give us some stories. And he, he said, I didn't even want a toy kangaroo or a tiger. It's yeah. just that they wanted one from, it, it, one from India and one from Australia so wow. they could sell the books there. Just, yeah, yeah. Imperial. <laughs> Very good. So that's Winnie the Pooh. So we're going to go there now. We're going to go to the house where all this happened. Uh, ah. And not only this, other, other things happened other things later happen. on, yes. um, which we shall talk about while we're down there. But we're heading off to Hartfield in uh, Sussex. Teddy bear. A bear, however hard he tries, grows tubby without exercise. Our teddy bear is short and fat, which is not to be wondered at. He gets what exercise he can by falling off the ottoman but generally seems to lack the energy to clamber back. Now tubbiness is just the thing which gets a fellow wondering and Teddy worried lots about the fact that he was rather stout. He thought, if only I were thin, but how does anyone begin? He thought, it really isn't fair to grudge me exercise and air. There you go. Good one I have for a you. lot of fellow feeling with uh, Teddy Bear. Good one for you. Um... So we thought we'd read that one. That is from uh, when we were very young. It's the uh, there are several mentions of bears all over the place. But this is the first. I think this is the only one with actually a a, a picture of a teddy bear, right? Yeah, that's in right. In this book of poetry, I think if you turn the page, there's a picture of him actually standing up, staring in the mirror, or something. So if you turn the page to page eighty-six in the uh, yeah. in the uh, in the original, and there he is. There is what is undoubtedly and unmistakably Winnie the Pooh. Yes. But he isn't called Winnie the Pooh yet. No, he's just called the bear. He's just called the bear. Um, now, we are standing uh, on the edge of Ashdown Forest. It's very lovely. It's a footpath. There are lots of keep-out notices everywhere. We played poo private. sticks. We played poo sticks on the poo bridge because we've walked up to essentially the house that this book of poetry paid for, right? That's it. The royalties <laughs> came in. As the royalties came in, um, Milne was unable to buy the house they were staying in in Poling, which we've obviously just visited. Um, so he bought this one instead, uh, near a place called Hartfield. And it's called... I keep forgetting the Cotchford name of the Cotchford Farm. It's called... Cotchford Farm. Cotchford Farm. Uh, you can't really see anything. There's a big gate with a camera on it and barking dogs. Yes. Um, it wasn't a very good place to record because it was near the road. They should have a sign saying Trespassers W. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Didn't they? It's that, the whole place has got Trespassers W vibe on yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. That's a little poo Easter egg for all you poo fans. <laughs> but this is kind of poo genesis, right? Because we, we, you can now park in a, inevitably a car park called the Poo Car Park. Yes. Uh, which is the other side of the river valley to here. So there's a river running down the backs of all the houses and into the Ashdown Forest. And that's obviously the river over which the Poo Bridge crosses. So we did play poo sticks, and I won. You did win. Um, you threw your. Uh, you went early with your throwing. No, stick, you right? just picked a bad stick. But uh, we're also going to talk about that was a bad stick, man. But there was also a bad scene, man. Here, right? <laughs> a bad scene. <laughs> 1968. Uh, 69. 69. 69. Because A. Milne uh, was living in this house until the 50s. Yeah. Uh, he died in the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, Another family took it over and. And put a swimming pool in. They put a swimming pool in. Uh oh. A bit of foreshadowing there. Uh oh. A bit of foreshadowing. Because the second very famous resident of the farm was Brian Jones. Of the Rolling Stones. The founder of the Rolling Stones, I think. I think he named them the Rolling Stones. It was his band. 
Yeah, he well, assembled them. Yes, and then he got kicked out of the band. And then they kicked him out. This is where they came down, Mick and Keith. So Mick and Keith drove down this line. Yeah. To, to, yeah. Here, here, is it here? Yeah, yeah. I think Brian's got to leave the band. Okay. Anyway, they came down here to kick him out of the band. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they offered him. You told me they offered him a hundred grand to leave the band and twenty grand a year. That's what it said. That's what's alleged. Yeah, yeah. and to, uh, twenty grand a year as long as the Rolling Stones continue to be a band. Yeah, and they kept the name. I presume Mick Jagger had a plan to call it the Rolling Steins or something <laughs> the next year and then put <laughs> him out of the quite money. Possibly, quite, possibly. <laughs> quite possibly. Uh, uh, and soon afterwards, very soon after, very soon after that that fateful night, yeah, um, he's, found he's found in dead. the swimming pool the next in the morning, right? Death by water. The you last see? person to see him alive, or the person who found the body, rather, yes, was the builder, Frank Thorogood. Mm. Thoroughly good. Thoroughly good. Frank Thorogood. So the story goes like this. If you want to Sorry, know... I'm, I'm, I'm taking over your story. No, it's fine. The story is, is, is all over the internet. Yeah. Um, I've got several links I can share with you if you're a patron supporter yeah. about conspiracy theories about Brian Jones. You didn't think we were going down this road, uh, did we, when we started talking about when we were very well, young? <laughs> which they were, well, well, so we started young. off with a, a three-year-old boy living yeah. in Chelsea and we ended up with a, a, a rock 26 star. 26-year-old man. A rock star in dead a in a swimming pool. pool. Yeah. I like it. Well, you know, that's when we were not so that's young. That's not when we were very young. Now we are 60s. No, the story goes that obviously he it was recorded that it was death by misadventure that he yeah. was just stoned off out, out yeah, his head well, and he went, went swimming at midnight but um the story goes that frank thorogood was a builder who was doing up the house but he didn't really do up the house he just all, all his mates he moved in to the annex and then all his mates came and they all just smoked spliff and swam in the pool and didn't do much work yeah. so brian got a bit fed up with this and uh told them that they needed to get lost sling their hook and, and that was the day that then he was then found the next morning dead. dead in the pool yeah and everybody who was at the house claimed not to have seen anything or done anything right. they'd all gone to bed and then just found him in the morning okay but uh, in the in the various blogs i've been looking at there's a lot of talk about frank thorogood he's dead now so we can say what we like yeah um that he did on his deathbed confess that he He'd done Brian in. Done Brian in. Because he'd, he'd uh, Cause kicked he him out. Him. Yeah, He was kicking him out. He, didn't yeah. have, he wasn't having it. But there's weird things in here that said things that say someone's claimed to have got hold of the autopsy and said that he had Brian had fresh water in his lungs, not swimming water. Right. So he drowned before he was thrown in the pool, supposedly. So there's no chlorine in his lungs. Yeah, that's right. And they also say in the documentary The Life and Death of Brian Jones that biologists have looked at the data on Jones' death record. They conclude that immediate stresses on tissue and the heart indicate that Jones knew he was being murdered. How's that possible, eh? It sounds unlikely, doesn't it? It does sound unlikely. I have to say, I think both Mick and uh, Keith is adamant that he's, it was bound to happen he was, sooner or later. He's just one of those guys you just knew wasn't going to make it. Oh, really? Yeah, charming, eh? Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, so this whole business of uh, death by water, we've had Jim Morrison. We've had, well, we've had James Morrison. James, James Morrison, yeah. Morrison, right? And then we've got Brian Jones. Yeah, he died at the same Brian age. Jones is quite an A.A. Mill name, actually, isn't it? You Brian Jones. having a character. Brian, Brian Jones. Jones. Brian Jones. Brian, Brian Jones. Jones is cold to his bones. He's lying face down in the pool. <laughs> Brian Jones is going <laughs> to... Brian Jones is cold to his bones. He should have followed the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is right, yeah. 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 Why didn't he do that? This yeah. Is, yeah, it's a prefiguring. I also think it is um, that that whole business, we crossed the poo sticks. Obviously, the other famous thing about that bridge is it's when Pooh and Piglet look down and they see Eeyore yeah. floating, floating, down river. floating in the river. Yeah. So I think that image of Eeyore floating upside down in the water <laughs> is a precursor. It's got a little bit of Brian Jones about <laughs> it, hasn't it? <laughs> It's very great. It's a great place to come. But we're driving in. We drove in from the south side of Ashdown Forest because we were coming up from Poling and uh, West Sussex. And um, when you drive over the heath on top of Ashdown Forest, it is absolutely the mental landscape from the Ernest Shepherd drawings in Winnie the Pooh. Well, we have it? to doff our hats to a shepherd. We do have to doff our hats to a shepherd, yes. He, I mean, the drawings are exquisite. And when, when you come down here, you really see yeah. that he's got a fantastic eye. So I just, it's, I can just imagine Milne moving in here, starting to think about Winnie the Pooh, counting his 
royalties. His millions. Going for walks with Christopher Robin and seeing the Heathland up there and then writing to Shepherd and saying, I say, Ernest, no, he probably would have said Shepherd, I say Shepherd, you need to get down here and get your sketch pad out. Yes. Because I, I think I've got the place. And Shepherd absolutely nailed it. He really did. Do you think it's that way round? Because the other thing about this might be that, say, that Shepherd's gone, and I've got a drawing of a bear, and I've got a drawing of all the sketches of all the landscape you around your house. Write some can't, can't you do some words to go with my pictures? No, I don't think that's how I have it today. Hello, this is Brian Jones, the Rolling Stones. Brian, you've got a lot of bad publicity always around this group. How does it come, you think? Well, uh, the whole thing started really with bad publicity. It just became the thing uh, to write sort of certain things about us, such as, oh, the Rolling Stones never wash, the Rolling Stones are rude, they're scruffy. They're not really true. We don't take any notice of it because our fans know it's not true anyway, so we yeah. don't worry about it. Let the press write what they want, you know. It's all, anything controversial is, is bound to be, you know, sort of good. You know, if the press ignored us completely, we'd worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of music do you prefer? Uh, well, I like all sorts of different music. I, I know more about American rhythm and blues music than I do about any other sort of music because that was the particular uh, music I became interested in in a very practical sort of way. I wanted to play it. Dating's not a thing with this, is <laughs> it's it? It's not a thing. It's not a thing, except, uh, as I pointed out as we went around London, I think it's relevant. The Buckingham Palace reference is, is relevant because of the sort of rebranding of Buckingham Palace that went on after World I've War I've just been one. thinking about the jazz nights at Buckingham Palace ever since you told me that story. <laughs> George V, you know, cool jazz, <laughs> no, I say. I think it was more, this, Dixie, it was more Dixieland. This really swings. <laughs> Uh, I love I love that idea. Yes, there's not a lot of dating going on, but we do do a rating. Uh, so we're not going to. Are we going to give a score for dating? Uh, a neutral score. A neutral score. Do we give him any score for that? We, have, we, we I mean, I'd give him a solid five. I think a solid five. Five doesn't get anything wrong. Doesn't yeah, get anything right. Well, yeah, and also in terms of locations, uh, I think we did well. Yeah, that London Zoo is. I mean, Buckingham Palace, the end of town. We found these places. We so, went. You know, we so found two his houses. Five. Now, in terms, of, in terms of scoring it, yes. the difficulty I have is I can't quite get past how obviously very easy he found it to write the stuff. Amazing, isn't it? We started doing it ourselves, <laughs> and right? You're like, and you're like, yeah, but very badly. Yeah. I mean, the, the point is, is that he manages to write these very, very, you know, memorable, that just land with so many. I mean, you can't ignore the response to it, right? I mean, no. the response was so gigantic that yes. you kind of got to say he's tapped into a vein that no one else had tapped into before. Yeah. Um, and does it incredibly effectively and I can't really see past that really I mean some of it I kind of find a bit I guess I don't I find it all a bit twee I'm yes. a little bit with Dorothy Parker yeah yeah on this stuff you know and I, I, I reread Winnie the Pooh as well and I was like mm, yeah no not really not really for me so yeah. it's admirable that it's that it's done but because it's done so easily you kind of want to score him down a little bit yes so, write some. There's a story about um, an anthology of, play, of his plays that came out, and I think a review of it said um, Amon must sit there wondering when he's going to write a great play, and then he looks at this anthology and realises that he will never write a great play, which is kind Ouch. of true. Yeah, you know, he just finds this he, he finds the middle road very comfortable, very easy. Yeah, you know, it all comes to him. It comes to him far too easily for me. Well, maybe, for, but for my comfort. I think it's also a pose. I think it is that thing we've been we we we've we've stumbled on in our conversations around a slight distaste for any kind of professionalism or being really oh, yes. really good yes. at something. Yeah, that you have to be diffident yes. and you have to. It's bred into him, isn't it? And it all has to look easy. So it's a product, and it, and it a, can't be serious. It's a product of his upbringing, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And his so, education. Yeah. And the war. Well, of course. And he's seen the terrible things in the war, which he can't talk about. So yeah. he doesn't talk about it. No. He talks about bears and... Yeah. and um, so I think if you, can, if you, if you marked him for... Has he achieved what he set out to do? Yeah. You'd give him a solid 10, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes you do give people high marks for that, I notice. Yeah. You, the, you, the, All you, I did for um, there, there was Rivers a, of London. Yeah. They were a, outraged. Yes, that's right. You just go, said, oh, well, he does he does what it says on the tin, so yeah. he gets a 10, I yeah. think you said. Yeah. So why are you, why are you balking at giving A.M. <laughs> Illner 10? It's just, this is a classist thing, isn't it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably is. So I'm not going to give him a 10. You're I think not? I'd probably give him an 8. Yeah. For, uh, you know, for, for artistic achievement. 
Yeah. I, do you know what? I think when we just were saying we were going to do this, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to really like this and I'm going to give it a nine or ten because my memory of it is I really loved it. Yeah. Particularly in the Latin, obviously. <laughs> and, we should have done the Latin. We should have done podcast in Latin. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, but um, but when going back to it, it does feel quite old-fashioned. And that, you said twee. And... Um, and the other word, I, I was worried, actually, when we came back from our field trip, that um, I said to you, oh, God, do you think I've been a bit too sort of jokey and silly about yeah. this? Should we, should we be a bit more serious? Yeah. And then I thought, well, he isn't. No. He, and it, I kept thinking, no, this is all quite silly. Yeah. It's very silly. And I can't get round that. Well, I'm so just I'm, thinking while you were saying that, I'm thinking about the prospect of us two doing this podcast, mucking about out in the wild... Uh, pretending that fiction books actually really happened yeah. and trying to mimic them and sitting there and describing someone as silly <laughs> is is uh, is deeply ironic. I think he's a very silly man and he's only getting a seven. <laughs> now we are seven. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, yeah, not particularly high schools, which, actually, will, which I, will outrage some I, people. I'll tell you what, I was going to, I was going to give him a, I was going to give him a six because I thought, that would be funny. Now we are six. That would be funny, right? Yeah. But then I realised um, that I'd give him one more mark, and I'll tell you why. Uh, because very much like we, I managed to get a poem about Tim. Yeah. Into uh, into the um, from Walter de la yeah, Mare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, blow me. Here's here's oh Timothy Tim has ten pink toes, and ten pink toes has Timothy Tim. They go with him wherever he goes, and wherever he goes, they go with him. There's never any poems about Lloyd, are there? No, there aren't. You That's see. because you can only rhyme it with void. <laughs> yeah. Or annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. This is sounding like an Edward Thomas poem. Yeah. So we should uh, say our thank yous, as yes. uh, every good young boy would do, uh, Yes. before we go off and say our prayers. Little boy sat at the foot of the bed saying his thank yous. Saying our thank yous, so we're going to say our thank Inside yous. Inside his head. Uh, we'd like to do our customary thank you to for our Basie Loop. Uh, Trebek's Lament, it's on the Free Music Archive from the artist Learning Music. Check mm. it out. We've got quite a lot of music used in this uh, particular episode. Yes, I liked so, your use of uh, jazz. Well, uh, be, uh, we started off with some non-jazz. Yeah. Uh, at the intro, you heard The Teddy Bear's Picnic uh, by Victor Sylvester's Harmony Music. Now, I'm, uh, it's the instrumental version, because I did end up reading quite a lot about the copyright to Teddy Bear's Picnic, and it's very complicated. <laughs> that's ridiculous, but isn't the it? The music is out of copyright. The words aren't. Oh, I see. So uh, that's why we were listening. But I got it off archive.org. I'll be putting the link in the show notes. You also heard Of All the Wrongs You've Done to Me and I'm a Little Blackbird Looking for a Bluebird by the Clarence Williams Blue Five featuring none other than Louis Armstrong. Oh, nice. From 1924. We talked about that oh, outside perfect. Buckingham Palace. Well done. Uh, and then you heard a couple of, other, a couple of uh, other tracks, When the Dear Old Summer Goes, Mike Special and his Hotel Carlton Terrace Orchestra uh, from 1924. Uh, but then you also heard Frank Crummett performing, and then he took up golf. That was good, which I quite liked. Yes. You had a little bit of Sam Neill reading from uh, when we were very young mm. uh, during lockdown, yes. which was rather nice. Very I quite enjoyed that. I'd also like to give a thank to Anne Thwaite. We lent, we lent a lot on her work. Yes, She's written did. two biographies, A.A. Mill and His Life, and then a, basically an extract from that for, called Goodbye, Christopher Robin, which was a tie-in to the movie. Yeah. So don't don't watch her. the movie. Listen. No, read the book. The books are very good. Book's good. Very, Film. very good. Mm. And a last big thanks to uh, Karen oh, at yes. Decoy Cottage, which you can find at www.decoyponds.co.uk because she runs it as a wedding venue now. And according to Christian, it's a sensational setting to host a wedding or celebration. Tranquil, green and open. Five stars. Fantastic. So if you're organising a wedding... So if Pooh and Piglet want to have a humanist gay wedding... <laughs> 
place to go. <laughs> that would be the place for them to go. Well, no, no, now you're now you're doing that terrible thing about you know uh, attributing sex lives to children's characters. It's never, Sorry, it's never a good look. Um, but yes, yeah, so that that was uh, there was quite a lot in there. So uh, apologies for all that. But I will be putting all that on the show notes, which you can see if you are a Patreon subscriber. Ah, talking of Patreon subscribers. Oh, nice segue. Yes, if you pay five pounds. Um, you get to join us on the Discord server and actually have a chat with us about our forthcoming field trips and about the episodes and about books in general. You've been very active on there in the last week because you've been just sharing thoughts you've had while reading. Yes. Which the, which the punters seem to enjoy. Well, I wondered whether it was like uh, a bit... I, maybe I've been infected by Pooh and his hums. I feel a little bit... I feel just a having bit, thoughts. I feel a little bit neglected because stuff you used to WhatsApp to me, you mm. now put on the, uh, on the Discord server. Yeah, with the gang. Server. Yeah. The gang, my new well, friends. I'm feeling slightly And my new down. best friend, Mike Crawford. Mike. Hello, Mike. Welcome, Mike. Mike has joined us recently. On the, he had a bit of trouble getting on there. He's been a two-pound subscriber for quite a while, but yeah. now he's a five-pound subscriber, and he can have his say about stuff. <laughs> Including how rubbish Patreon so is. He can tell me to shut up about my meandering <laughs> thoughts. And, 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 have, on there. It's and talk fun. about something more interesting it, instead. It's very, very good fun. Now, we've got a bit of a, a change of pace coming, right, in our next episodes. Oh, yes. We've done three poetry books now. We did In Pursuit of Spring. Yes. Uh, we've done Dart, and we've done When We Were Very Young. Yes, we're doing another form of pursuit, I would say. <laughs> there is another form of pursuit. Well, yeah. uh, we're doing Running running Men, right? Running Men. Running Men. Yes. Uh, uh, starting off with The Daddy. Of running men. Well, books. I don't think it is the daddy. I think we'll get. Well, oh yes, maybe it's the daddy, and yeah. then we're going to do the granddaddy that's later right, on. That's right, All yeah. right, I see what you said right, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The daddy. Yeah. Yes, we're going to do Rogue Mail by Jeffrey House- Household, yeah. and there has been much talk on the uh, mainly by me about uh, <laughs> on the Patreon Discord server about this book and the fact that it's it's about uh, an anonymous narrator who attempts to kill a far-right leader in the 1930s, assassinate him, um, fails, and then is pursued by the secret service of said uh, right-wing nation uh, back to England, where he then buries himself in the countryside. When I say bury, I mean bury. Now, the key thing is, where does he bury himself? So we're going to try and dig our way (laughs) into the Dorset countryside... (laughs) And find exactly the right rabbit hole yeah. where this character hangs out for an unfeasibly long time. Yeah. Uh, can it be done? What do you mean? When you say can it be done, are you not planning to actually dig into no, the Well, I'm going to put you in there for a month and see how you get on. Well, you know the Winnie the Pooh story about when he gets stuck in the doorway because yeah, he's quite a bit away. You might want to be the one going in there. So oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, you might have to dig a bigger hole. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're anyway, need a it's, it's going to be a good trip because we're going to basically explore the hollow ways of Dorset. Yeah. So come with us. Yeah. As well as some interesting locations in London. Right? Oh, that's true. We have yeah. to get out of London first after we've killed a man on the underground. Yeah. Well, obviously there are, there are there's underground maps and tubes, people. So I got very excited. It's, it's, it's just something for everyone. It suits us both. Something for everyone. Perfect. Enjoy. We'll see you on the we'll see you uh, on the other side. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.